You may be seated and turn to Matthew chapter 5 and 17 through 20 today in the Sermon on the Mount as we continue this series of the King's message, the King of the Kingdom, speaking to the subjects of the Kingdom, Matthew 5 and 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you this day with these solemn words. That we need a righteousness we do not have to enter into a kingdom, the kingdom of glory, both now, this spiritual kingdom now, and also the eternal state of that kingdom in the future. Lord, I pray you would teach us, help us, Father, by faith to receive this king of the kingdom. I pray if there are any here, Lord, that have not been born of the Spirit to be able to see the kingdom that you would do so this day. In Christ's name, amen. So we keep talking about this kingdom of God, and today we're talking about the exceeding righteousness, or the righteousness that exceeds, would be the title for today's messages. The righteousness that exceeds. I think I've used that before already in talking about the whole sermon. could be that. In fact, the whole Bible could have the title over it, The Righteousness That Exceeds. And as we uh, think about this kingdom of heaven, which occurs 32 times in Matthew, that phrase, kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the kingdom. As we think about that, I just want to remind each of you that you are spiritual beings, and this is a spiritual kingdom now. But there's going to come a day when the spiritual kingdom is going to bridge heaven and earth. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And we are in the process of living in that kingdom now, of growing and being prepared for the eternal state of this kingdom. It's like we are on this side of a great gulf between here and heaven. And Jesus Christ has built a spiritual bridge He is the bridge between this world and the next. Jacob's ladder. And the only way you can see that bridge is by eyes of faith. And the only way you can cross that bridge is by faith and by word and by walking this narrow way together. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about that. This is a spiritual kingdom. You can only see it. It's an invisible bridge except by as a faith to be able to see it. And then when you get on that bridge, there's a narrow way to get across that bridge. 
And the only way to cross this bridge is by Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness provided. He is the bridge for us that we live by faith upon. This kingdom of heaven is called an everlasting kingdom. It was prophesied of Daniel in chapter 2 of 44, where he said, In the days of these kings, speaking of the time of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, he said, The God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So this kingdom that's being built, this spiritual kingdom that we see by eyes of faith, is an everlasting kingdom. It's also a kingdom that's here now. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's here now. This kingdom is said in some places to be within you. It says that we must be converted and become like a little child to enter into it. We're told in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Does that sound familiar? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. In Luke 17, 20, he was demanded of the Pharisees. Jesus Christ said, when is this kingdom going to appear? Because they thought this was going to be a kingdom that was going to conquer politics and kings. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. And he's just saying there, this is a spiritual kingdom. This kingdom is conquering the most difficult kingdom in the world to conquer. Your heart. This kingdom conquers your love and your passions. That's the most difficult kingdom to conquer. Greater is he that conquers himself than he that conquers a city. There are 13 parables. Matthew 13 parables. The Matthew 13 parables are all talking about this kingdom of heaven. And in that Matthew 13 parables, there are some parables that speak of this kingdom in this world where there's a gospel net that's being cast. This is called the outward call. Where right now I'm saying this, this is a real kingdom. There's a real heaven and a real hell. And if you don't trust this Christ, you can't cross the bridge over the gulf of hell to get to the kingdom of heaven. And this gospel net is cast. In one place it says that it pulls in fish, good and bad. And there's a picture of this kingdom where in this world... There are going to be true possessors of faith in, in it. And there's going to be some in it that are going to be the bad fish are going to be cast out. Where it says there shall be a furnace of fire and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So this is life or death. Eternal life or death. This spiritual kingdom that Christ is telling us about. The only way to enter in is with the exceeding righteousness that we don't have that we obtain by faith in Christ. And so the righteousness required to enter into the final state of the kingdom of heaven. So we enter into it now by faith. We're being prepared for it, but there's a point where we die and we enter into that eternal state. That's what Christ is talking about here when He says, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, the scribes, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
this exceeding righteousness includes both a justification and a sanctification. You see, as we're on this bridge, as we're crossing over the gulf to the other side, we have to learn the language of where we're going. So imagine that you're going to another country, not just going there, you're going to live there. Saying that you were going over and you were going to live in Italy the rest of your life. It'd be a good idea to learn the language before you got there, right? So you kind of know how to get around. You might be able to eat, sleep, and live in that kingdom. That's, that's what we're doing now. When we come to church, we're learning the language of the kingdom. And there's two important words that we're going to learn today as we go through this. Y'all have heard these before. There is an imputed righteousness and there is an imparted righteousness. Those words can also be expressed by there is a justification and a sanctification. It's in our confession of faith. It's on our articles of faith on the website. And these are the languages of the kingdom that we're learning now. So that when, so as we're going through this life, we understand this righteousness that exceeds. So the righteousness that is required to enter into the kingdom of heaven now and forever, once we die or Christ returns, is given us in Christ. That's justification. And it's worked out in us day by day in your Christian walk. That's sanctification. And at the end of your life, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the evidence that you were justified and sanctified will be clearly seen in your life. It's already being seen in your life if you be in Christ. You're bringing forth those fruits. So how is this righteousness being worked out in us? First of all, we'll look at this righteousness was fulfilled in Christ. Secondly, it's being fulfilled in you. And finally, there will be evidence on the last day that you were in Christ. So Christ says here, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass in the law, till all be fulfilled. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. So why does Christ start that way here? He says, Think not. But we have to just consider what's going on here. This is uh, Christ has gone up the mountain. He's sitting there. We read back in the previous chapter, he had come on the scene preaching. If you go back to chapter 1, his credentials were laid down in the genealogy that this is Messiah. He's healing people. He's preaching with authority and a power like they had never seen because no one ever spake like this man spake. And so there's a lot of buzz going around. There's a lot of talk going around. And the Pharisees start showing up. And so Jesus is coming here and he says, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I can imagine there's a Pharisee there, one of the spies. Maybe a, the scribes too are there. Maybe sitting on the front row taking notes. What is this babbler going to say? 
I can imagine Christ looking right at them with a finger saying, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. Maybe they were thinking, well, this, this is, if this is the Messiah, He's going to turn everything upside down. He didn't come from the scribes and the Pharisees. I know there are a lot of people that are probably unhappy with the rule of the scribes and the Pharisees. Knew they were hypocrites. They could see the fruits of their life. But you know what? We are also prone to think things we shouldn't think. I can imagine if, you know, this bridge that's been built across this great gulf, and Christ is that bridge, and there's a blueprint that's been made by the God of heaven. That blueprint says this is the plan of salvation, how you get from across this great gulf. Hell is the ocean beneath, and we're, we've got to build this bridge across to, to heaven to the other side, and Christ is that bridge. He's finished that great work. But there's people who come along and say, you don't need to walk across the King's Highway of Holiness. There's some that sit back and just say, you know what, we've got the blueprint. The blueprint says that I'm elect before the foundation of the world. I don't need to do anything else. Faith isn't required. I don't need to be walking in the kingdom with a group of people together by faith across this narrow way. I don't need to be trying to avoid the pitfalls and all the traps that have been set on the bridge, on the way of holiness, by the enemy. And so we're prone to think. We as believers even are prone to think that the moral law is no longer in effect. Don't commit adultery. Jesus is going to get into that next, isn't he? Don't be angry. Isn't it interesting? The very first commandment he goes after is anger. Thou shalt not kill. That's probably one of our biggest problems. We'll get to that next time. And so these Pharisees were present. There had been healing going on. Jesus says, think not. Because we're prone, to, our mind's prone to wander away from God's word and God's truth. Isn't that what Satan did in the garden? Didn't he say, oh, don't think that way. Think this way. Jesus says, think not. Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. Think not. There were 600 something laws in the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to destroy any of those. I came to fulfill them. He would even say to these Pharisees, where he's saying, think not. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, in Matthew 23. Hypocrites. For you pay your tithes, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. He said, now you ought to tie, but you need to be having mercy, kindness, helping the oppressed. The Pharisees were destroying the law and the prophets by adding traditions in. Isn't that something we always do? I mean, we can look at the history of Christianity and even in our own order where traditions seem to creep in that become equal with the Word of God. So think not that I've come to destroy the light. Christ was going to fulfill these for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in any wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. One jot, one tittle, one comma, one period, one apostrophe. The smallest little mark in the text was going to be fulfilled. Every verb tense, every detail was going to be fulfilled. This blueprint to get us from here to glory had to be perfect. Could not be one screw out of place, not one weld. 
Not one arch, not one pillar, nothing. Everything had to be perfect and exact to cross the gulf. Not one jot or one tittle. He's showing us the extent and the perfection of the law. The whole point of the law was to bring us to who? To Christ. Paul would call and call it in Galatians, the law is our schoolmaster. The, the law is, we look into the, this law and we realize, I don't have the righteousness required. I don't have a bridge to cross the gulf to get to God, to the kingdom of heaven. He uses the illustration here of heaven and earth. He said, till heaven and earth pass. What is the most stable things that you can think of? Heaven and earth. So the earth under our feet, one of the most terrifying things I think is probably to live in an area that has earthquakes. Whenever the very thing under your feet starts shaking, that's got to be terrifying. We read about that's going to happen again. In the future, where people are even going to be so terrified of the the lamb, they're going to cry out for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the lamb. Heaven and earth. In Psalms 119.89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is a settled matter. Every jot, every tittle, it's a settled matter. Anthony Tuckney had this to say about this verse. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. He says, God's word is settled in heaven. No doubt about it. We pray, let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is performed perfectly. We are being prepared to live in that place of joyful, loving obedience and bliss. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Whenever you look up into the heaven and you see the sun, the sun is steadfast. The heavens are steadfast. But if you look into a pond of water and you see the reflection of the sun or the moon and the water and the wind blows across the water and it ripples, what does it look like? It looks like the earth, the, the sun is shaking there or the moon in that reflection on the water. That's kind of the way we imagine it is now, right? We think that God's Word is shaken sometimes. But when you look up into heaven, the sun's not moving. The moon's not moving. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. It's settled and steadfast. There's nothing can shake it. It must be fulfilled in Christ. Every jot, every tittle, the extent of the law. And think what the claim is here that Christ is making. You see, He says here, Think not, I am come. And then He says, I am not come. And then He says, I say unto you. And He says that again in verse 20, I say unto you. So who is this one that says, I am come. This is the Messiah. From the very first who was promised, The seed of the woman shall crush Satan's head. I am come. He comes here in Matthew at the beginning of his ministry. 
with his genealogy. And he's got his herald that has gone before him, as kings in the old days had a herald that would come before them and say, this is the great king and present his genealogy. Christ is here. The genealogy of the Messiah has been presented. And he says, I am come. I am come to do what no man has ever lived, has ever done. Now think about the claim here. I am come to fulfill the law of sacrifice for sin perfectly so it will no longer be needed. I am come to live according to the moral law, which we call the Ten Commandments. I'm going to keep it perfectly for the 33 years that I'm on this earth. Woo! That's a pretty bold claim. There was a young man that came to Jesus and said he had did that until Jesus put his finger on the bruise and found out how much he loved money. we got a lot of people in this world that make a lot of bold claims, right? They want to be the goat. You don't want to be a goat. You want to be a sheep. They want to be the greatest of all time. They want to be seen of men. The world is filled with them. While the people are on the king's highway on this holy bridge, which is Jesus Christ, and we're living and, and working and helping each other be perfected through sanctification as we walk across this narrow bridge to the other side, there's many on the one side over here who are just saying, there's no such thing as the other side. All things continue as they always have been. And they make themselves kings and they make themselves great ones and they seek the worship that only belongs to God. But this Christ comes and says, I'm going to do what nobody's ever done. I'm going to live a perfect life. That's a, that's a bold claim. Most people who would say that, what, we, 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 what would we say about them? We would say they were crazy. We'd say they're a lunatic. But Christ claimed to be Lord, Messiah, God manifest in the flesh, the Creator. He comes and He fulfills this. It says in Galatians 4 that this divine Trinitarian Godhead, the eternally begotten Son, in the fullness of time was come, sent forth by God the Father, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. He came and He did what nobody else could do. He fulfilled it. Jesus Christ, it, it said in Romans 10.4, is the end of the law of righteousness. To who? To who? Believers. Not unbelievers. It's a law of righteousness. The bridge of righteousness that gets us across the gulf to the other side. How long is Jesus going to be fulfilling this law and the prophets, do you think? Is it all done already? No, He's still doing it now. He says, till heaven and earth pass. In Ephesians 1.10 it tells us that in the dispensation of the fullness of times 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. There's coming a time that everyone that's in Christ, in him, is going to be gathered together. It's coming. And at that day, Philippians 2.10 tells us, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to do what? Lock. Everybody that tries to lock their knees on that day will have them broken in two. They will bow to Jesus Christ. They will bow to Jesus Christ. Every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And this Jesus Christ, this one, made peace through the blood of His cross to reconcile all things to Himself, whether they think, be things in earth or in heaven. He's bringing it all together. All of those brothers and sisters that have gone on ahead of us across the bridge of Christ to the other soul have made it across the great gulf of hell. They've been delivered into that place of righteousness. We are on the way there. We are spiritual beings on the way there. Your life matters and it counts for something. It does. And there are real dangers along the way. There's an enemy within, a traitor. It's in the castle. And along the way, there are pitfalls on this narrow bridge that we're going across that Christ finished for us. And He's sent the Spirit to enable us to walk across the King's Highway. And there may be some time somebody may fall into a bear trap going across that bridge laid there by the enemy. And they may have to cut their leg off to keep going, but if they're in Christ, they will. They'll cut that hand off. They'll cut that foot off. They'll pluck that eye out, and they will get across safely to the other side. Jesus Christ is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, all those for whom He died. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There's going to come a day when this natural world is going to be burned up. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Your spiritual beings being prepared for that transition. And he goes on there, Peter, and says, Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved... What manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You see, where you have been declared to be righteous, born of the Spirit, there will always be a measure of holiness in that person's life. Sanctification and justification always go together. Christ has imputed His righteousness to us, His perfections, and He is in the process through His Spirit and His Word and even this preaching today He's imparting into you wisdom and knowledge and understanding to fight sin, put it to death, cut it off, so that you can stay on the way of holiness. When you're driving on a road, there are traffic laws, aren't there? You know, I heard a, I knew a guy one time that I think he used to give the test for the people back in my hometown when they would do their driving test, you know, and they would watch you. 
He said that he could follow anybody around one block and find at least one thing they'd done wrong. One law they had violated. One thing they hadn't done. And if we're on this king's way of holiness, Jesus is the only one that could walk that way and never violate a traffic law. Never speed. Never do a rolling stop sign. None of those things. He did everything perfectly and right. And we get the benefits of that perfection. But as we are walking across the king's highway, we have this great gift of repentance and faith and the washing of regeneration and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. So as we go across and we walk in love, we receive forgiveness and the help we need. And we receive the healing. And we are being changed and transformed by this righteousness as we walk across the King's Highway. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to every one that believes. So Christ fulfilled the law. He paid the traffic tickets. He paid the lawyer cost. The jail time He endured for us. Everything we owed, He paid that price. He fulfilled the law of righteousness. Faith is the alone instrument of justification. So this is what our confession of faith says. London Baptist. Chapter 11, verse uh, section 2. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet, it is not alone. It is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works by love. So when we are declared righteousness, there is a power that works in you. And I think that's what is some of what's being communicated in verse 19 here in our text. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. As we're walking across this narrow way on the king's highway, he's telling us here, only those who do and teach are the ones who are actually on the way. There are those who will begin Walking across the narrow way. It looks like they're on the path of righteousness. It looks like it. Outwardly, they're like the Pharisees. They go to church. They pay their tithes. They preach. They pray. They sing. And yet, they're breaking God's commandments. They're teaching and not doing. And again... Where righteousness is in a life, there will always be the obedience to that righteousness. There will be both doing and teaching. In Matthew 13, again, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So it shall be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Those who are not doing righteousness will be cast out because they only seem to have righteousness like the Pharisees and the scribes. 
And in this verse, those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are the bad fish that will be cast out. The very purpose of this righteousness being given to you, we read of in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. What's the purpose of the plan of salvation in eternity past? That you would be holy and without blame before Him in love. And so the purpose of this righteousness given to us is that we would become like Christ. That we would be made more and more holy. That we would grow in grace as we walk across this life. Are you growing in grace and holiness? Can you look in your life this year and notice that there's something deeper about your walk this year than there was last year? That maybe you're more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Maybe there's a deeper hunger in your heart for God's Word so that now, where last year you didn't get up and read your Bible in the morning, maybe this year you are. Do you see that growing in grace going on in your life? Have you, if you have the righteousness, you'll have these kinds of desires. And you will be able to sense over time this kind of growth in grace. You will find yourself... Where last year you weren't doing and teaching as well as you would like, this year you're doing and teaching, you're doing a better job of obeying. This is the evidence of righteousness in us. Is that we are doing and teaching, as he says there. We are to follow his example. Christ made it a cross life. He did what he said he was going to do. He kept that moral law. He left that example for us. John 13, 15, he says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And he's talking there about washing the feet. So he washed our feet. He served us. He loved us. We are to love one another as he loved us. And so we are to labor to enter into that rest. I know that sounds like a contradiction. Labor to enter into rest. Well, there's a rest to be entered into. And we need the righteousness that is above the Pharisees and the scribes to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we are to labor to enter into that rest. And the purpose of the church and the purpose of authority in your life, kids, moms and dads, the purpose of all of this is to prepare you for the eternal state of this kingdom that we're already in by faith. Righteousness to enter in. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is this righteousness that exceeds? Well, let's take a look and see what it's not. What was the righteousness that the Pharisees and the scribes had? We've already touched on this a little bit. In Matthew 23, Jesus says this. This is the great woe chapter. And it's not the kind of woe that you might think of today, kids. Jesus says in Matthew 23, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes 
and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So who are the scribes and the Pharisees? Scribes were those who drew up legal documents. They were like lawyers today. They would draw up wills. They would draw up any kind of a legal transaction, both for civil law and for, for the religious law. The Pharisees were the ones who said they obeyed all of it. They were a sect. And so a scribe is an office like a lawyer. A Pharisee was a religious person who said, we're doing it all. Jesus says they sit in Moses' seat, so they had a seat of authority. But he goes on and says in verse 3 there of Matthew 23, All therefore whatever they bid you observe, observe and do it. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. You see, that's exactly what he said in the previous verse. He said those that teach and are not doing it are not really in the kingdom. In verse 5 he says, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. This kind of righteousness they had was only a righteousness where they wanted to receive the praise and acclamation acclamation. Of men. They wanted to receive the glory that belonged to God. They wanted to seat in the high seats. They wanted, whenever they passed by, everybody to speak well of them. They wanted to be seen by men as being righteous. He goes on here and says, but all their works they to be seen of men. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? You know what a hypocrite is? It's a Hollywood actor is a hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor. Somebody who pretended to be something they are not. So when an actor puts on a play, they're pretending to be a different person. And the Pharisees and the Scribes were pretending to be Abraham's seed, pretending to be righteous, pretending to be children of God. When Jesus would tell them over there in John, they were actually children of the devil. He says, woe unto them, you're hypocrites. You're like whited sepulchers. So he said, you look like a grave. We got some graves out here. So he said, you look like a grave that's been painted white on the outside, but when you open it up, it's full of the stinking, rotting, dead bones. That's the righteousness the Pharisees had that we are not to be after that. We're supposed to have both inward righteousness and outward righteousness. That's the exceeding righteousness that you must have to enter the kingdom of God. Inside and outside. This is also portrayed in Psalms 45.13. Psalms 45 is talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And it's talking about the king's daughter. And it uses this metaphor of the king's daughter in Psalms 45. And it says, The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of rock gold. You see, she's all glorious within. And she has clothing that's made of gold. Holiness and righteousness. Both we must have to enter into the kingdom of heaven. These Pharisees 
pretended to pray. We know that story, right? The Pharisee stands up to pray. I sure am glad I'm not like that guy. And the tax collector won't even lift his hand up. But he's broken, humiliated by his sin. And he says, God have mercy on me. What did Jesus say about those two? Here's the, the person who's been to seminary, who goes to church all the time, who's got all the tradition, the lingo, the appearance of righteousness. And Jesus says, that person is damned. Because they're pretending to be something they're not. And that poor sinner who won't even lift their head up, that is the person who has the righteousness that exceeds. That's upside down from what we think, isn't it? These are those who stumbled at the law of righteousness. The Pharisees are like those. Christ has already built the bridge across the gulf. The Pharisees are down over here building their own little bridge. They worked for 70, 80 years trying to follow the law and then they die and they just fall off in the gulf. They can't they hadn't figured it out that the first step onto the way of holiness, the narrow bridge that leads across the great gulf, is a step of faith on Jesus Christ. And he even gives you that. <laughs> He's the Alpha and the Omega. The first step on that bridge is Alpha called Alpha. And the one on the far side into heaven is called Omega. And Christ is everything in between. Christ is the one who we will give an account for on that day. You see, we need the righteousness declared. We need that perfection of Christ that's given to us, the transaction where our empty, bankrupt bank account is filled up with billions of dollars of Christ's perfection. We're given that. And then the power of that righteousness we live out of. Paul praying for the church. There in Ephesians chapter 3, said, according to the power that works in us. There's power working in you. I, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the Holy Spirit, the administrator. He's in you. We just sang a song that Christ says, He's leading you by the hand all the way. That doesn't mean it's not going to be easy. That there's not going to be traitors along the way. There's not going to be people trying to get you off track. There's going to be those that that we see that build their own religion, saying if you just sign a card and join here and give this much money, I guarantee you're saved. There's all kind of hucksters out there. There's only one Christ. There's only one doctrine. And there's only one hope. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The righteousness that is required to enter the kingdom of heaven now and forever is given us in Christ worked out in us by Christ in life. And your life will show the evidence of that on the last day. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, which is homosexual. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Brothers and sisters, your body was bought by the blood of Christ. You don't have the right to do whatever you want with your body. It's His. 
And, and to understand that is, is where you come to the end of yourself and you submit yourself to Him. And we don't like to hear that. We've got a whole society of people that are just, they think their body is a fun house to do whatever they want with. Your body was bought with a price. If your body is not righteous in some sense, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in their body. According to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So you see, Christ did pay the sin debt. He gives us his perfection. And there's a power in that that's being worked out in our life so that when we get there, the things done in our body will show evidence that we were in Christ or not. I heard a pastor say it this way, and I don't think he's wrong. He said, we're saved by Christ, and we're judged by our works. If you're saved by Christ, you will have the works. Right? You'll have the fruit. Your heart's been won by love. You want, there's no other desire you have in that to serve Him and to obey Him. And He is changing this heart of ours. He's establishing that kingdom of love in our hearts so that we might follow Him. I believe that Christ also, every week that we're here, He continues to build this kingdom as we continue to walk across the King's highway of holiness. And He's given us each other to help each other along life's journey. You don't have to do it alone. There's going to become time, come times as you're walking across this way that you're going to become discouraged and fall down. And what does the Word say? Lift up the feeble knees and the hands that hang down. Brothers and sisters, always be praying for each other and helping each other because it's not an easy path. It is secure. We will get to the end. This righteousness that we have been granted in Christ is an effectual righteousness that impacts our whole life and will get us to the end of days. Do you have that righteousness? Do you? You will know by what the fruit is coming out of your mouth and your life week by week and day by day. I pray that God would grant you that righteousness in Christ.